Hello. Good evening, friends. Another straight talk column which appeared in December 2004, this time pointing out the difficulties with the clever proposal to declare debt taken on by unpleasant regimes on paper. Odious or just malodorous. Something terribly wrong happens when debt is incurred by a sovereign government that does not have good claim to represent the will of the people of the country and its proceeds are not used for their benefit. Take the case of South Africa under the apartheid regime which borrowed in part to finance a military machine that was used to repress the majority African population. The debt thus incurred was doubly odious for not only were the proceeds used to suppress the African majority and keep the apartheid regime in power but the suppressed also eventually ended up being responsible for the debt repayment. The post-apartheid government accepted that responsibility. Yet, the case seems to have all the hallmarks of a situation where something ought to have been done to remove the odious debt. But what should be done in such a case? One, one suggestion is to institute an international commission, say under the United Nations, that will determine which regimes have neither popular legitimacy nor the interest of their people at heart. Once the commission declares the regime and its uh, debt odious, successor regimes could, could be solved. So it could be absolved through international agreement of having to repay the debt incurred by the odious regime. Also creditor country uh, also creditor country laws could be altered so as to make it difficult for creditors from that country to enforce debt payment from another country once that country's debt is declared to be odious. The possibilities of such a mechanism are dramatic. If a commission had declared a Mobutu Sese uh, Seko odious early on his uh, uh, on in his re regime, he would not have been able to build up Jairez uh, debt to twelve billion dollar or to use four billion dollar of it in building his own personal assets. He might not even have lasted long, uh, long in power if. Uh, he had not been able to borrow to keep his regime afloat. Certainly the objectives of those arrogating mechanisms to declare debt odious are compelling. Unfortunately the mechanism would not work as precisely as this example suggests. It would be more of a neutron bomb than a, a, laser, a laser guided missile. Not only would it make uh, it more difficult for odious regimes to borrow but it would also make borrowing more difficult for any legitimate regime that had even a remote possibility of being succeeded by an odious regime. A uh, fledging democratic regime struggling to borrow to avoid the consequences of drought might find the going even harder if, if uh, creditors were also attempting to judge the possibility that the regime might collapse. If the regime gave way to a nasty successor, the debt would be declared odious, imposing huge losses on the creditors. Anticipating this, the creditors would not lend, making regime change more likely. How then uh, does one uh, prevent the order of future odious debt from polluting uh, all prior debt and uh, making borrowing more difficult for all countries that have even a remote possibility of future regime change? 
A clever proposal is simply to restrict ODM to future date, Kramer and Jayachandran 2003. In other words, successor regimes could legitimately escape repayment only of the debt that is issued after the commission declares a regime's date odious. The beauty of this idea is that markets would not be left guessing about whether their date would be legitimate. Moreover, to the extent that the regime could not borrow to finance theft or build monuments to its own glory, resources would be preserved to service the old date, thus enhancing its value. But would it work? The trouble is that implementation of the proposal could have other unintended consequences, though creditors would not be forced to guess whether the loan they made to a country would be viewed as legitimate. They might still be left guessing whether it could be valuable. Uh, sorry, whether it would be valuable. Here is why few developing countries or expanding firms can repay all the debt they have contracted or even generate substantial income unless they have access to further financing. This is because countries and, and firms rely on growth, a steady stream of new projects, and continuing old projects to provide both the cash flows to service debt incurred to set up those projects as well as a residual amount to service older debt. Countries and firms typically grow their way out of debt, but uh, if future debt were declared odious, the country would no longer be able to borrow to continue old projects, let alone finance new ones, assuming of course that the odious regime was not bent on driving the country into immediate economic collapse. If uh, it were so destructive, few would be willing to lend in the first place and there would be no need for a special procedure to declare its date odious. Even if the odious regime had the intention of servicing its date, the declaration that uh, the regime's future date was odious would make it very difficult for it to do so. When coupled with the fact that the incentives to repay debt come in part from the attraction of continuing to be able to borrow, it might well be uh, that the regime defaults on existing date as soon as it is declared odious with the adverse consequences for its valuation. The proposal to declare only future date odious might mitigate some of the concerns associated with the original odious date mechanism, uh, but it would not eliminate them by any means. Another variant is to single out past date that was used for nefarious purposes such as a reparation or theft and declare only that odious and uncollective, uh, sorry, uncollectible. Uh, such a mechanism would make uh, make lenders responsible for the end use of their funds. But this suggestion is also not without problems. But one, it is hard to know whether still that is being imported will be used to make cradles or cannons. Even guns and bullets may have legitimate uses if the policy uh, sorry, if the police use them to combat crime, if lenders were held is responsible for end use, they would shy away uh, from financing a large number of legitimate activities. Moreover, this proposal assumes that money is not fungible. What is to prevent the government from funding roads and ports with foreign loans while using taxpayer funds to buy tanks and submarines? If there are potential costs to such proposals, then a re-examination of the benefits becomes important. Would a dictator really be stopped in their tracks? Would the truly corrupt not simply sell the country's existing assets at bargain basement prices for cash? 
would we not uh, see an increase in trafficking in antique antiques uh, endangered animals woods uh, and uh, sorry wood and drugs is it possible that the country would be worse off if the dictator stole to unusual channels that if he stole by building up debt the point is that while the odious debt proposal is well motivated it is unlikely to provide a panacea uh, we have to recognize there will be trade-offs the upfront cost to any fragile democracy from the order of possible future odium weighed against the possible benefits of curbing corrupt dictators financed by or eager bankers if there are many odious regimes today but little chance that currently democratic regimes will switch to being odious the benefits of the proposal outweigh the cost if uh, there are few odious regimes today and many possible switches the, the reverse is truth Oh, sorry the reverse is true and some then one does not need conspiracy theories to explain why the odious date proposal has not gone anywhere or why newly legitimate governments like that of post-apartheid south africa have accepted the responsibility of servicing the potentially odious dates they inherited the concern that date markets might be disrupted is well founded but there are also potential benefits that deserve a further investigation if researchers had uh, their way we would pick one, one pity dictator through a random draw declare his uh, date uh, date uh, odious and watch what happened this suggestion is unlikely to find many takers the notion of experimenting with countries seems uh, repugnant to most so in the absence of uh, research that will use existing data cleverly to inform us or or fortuitous natural experiments it is not surprising nor even unfair that the odious date proposal is likely to stay in cold storage many of the facts in this article are drawn from odious date a working paper by michael kramer and seema jaychandran published by the national bureau of economic research in the us in may 2002 now uh, part fifth from the occasional pieces one of my or research forays at the IMF was into the cost and benefits of uh, foreign aid. This was work done with uh, Arvinda Subramanian, the Indian government's current chief economic advisor. This work was controversial because it went against the received wisdom in developmental institutions that aid was tremendously beneficial. This 2005 piece reports on and that joint research aid and growth the policy challenge now that developed countries and international financial institutions have committed themselves to writing off the date of highly indebted uh, poor countries the challenge will be to convert these resources into actual growth and faster progress towards the millennium development goals while for some it may seem that uh, the war against poverty can be won simply by getting rich countries to provide more debt relief and uh, aid the view of experts, including those behind the recent reports by the UK Commission for Africa and the Millennium Project, is that this is just one of the necessity ingredients. It is early days yet in the campaign to make poverty history. If it is to succeed, we have to recognize the failures of the past as well as the open-minded, as well as be open open-minded about the solutions for the future. And the first thing to recognize is the 
Shaker history of aid, aid and growth. The best way to get the poor in low-income countries out of poverty is to strengthen economic growth in those countries. To the layperson, this may just mean sending these countries uh, more aid. Yet one point about which there is a general agreement amongst economists is that there is a little evidence of a robust unconditional effect of aid on growth. Before going further, let me say that uh, the word effect implies a casual, uh, casualty. Uh, this is different from correlation. It is uh, possible to find in, um, in the data a negative correlation between aid and economic growth. But uh, this doesn't mean that more aid causes less growth. For instance, if aid tends to go to countries that are doing badly, you would get re get aid and growth being uh, negatively correlated even though aid does not cause poor growth. The direction of causation is the reverse. This is why economists use a technique called instrumental variables analysis to tell um, causality from simple correlation. In recent papers that uh, I have written with Arvinda Subramanian, of the IMF's research department, we describe how we find, uh, sorry, how we found a negative correlation between aid and growth when we did not use instrumental variables, but uh, how this essentially disappeared once we used the technique Rajan and Subramaniam 2005, A and B. This means that uh, aid skeptics may have been mistaken in viewing negative correlations found in the past as supporting their view but unfortunately we don't find a robust significant positive correlation either does this mean that uh, aid cannot in any circumstances boost growth of course not the layperson's thinking does of course have some significant basis poor countries are uh, short of resources and ought to be able to put aid in close to good use there are case studies of countries that have grown using aid and specific aid projects that have helped the poor enormously what we economists have to identify uh, have not identified is a reliable set of economic circumstances in which we can say that aid has helped countries grow and this is not for want of trying for example an influential study suggested that aid leads to growth but uh, only in countries that have good governance uh, this certainly seemed a very reasonable conclusion a necessary condition for aid to help growth is obviously that aid receipts should not be spirited away to swiss bank accounts unfortunately however it uh, doesn't seem to be a sufficient condition for aid to help growth as uh, follow-up studies suggest the finding is not robust uh, Easterly, Levin and uh, Rudman, 2004. It would appear that uh, other levels, uh, sorry, other levers are uh, needed in addition to reasonable governance for aid to be effective. A recent study, Clemens, Radilet and uh, Baunani, 2004, takes another crack at uh, parsing the data, working from the assumption that not all aid is alike in its impact on growth. Again, the rational is a uh, plausible why for instance uh, why for instance should we expect humanitarian aid to result in growth or why should we expect aid devoted to edu education children are a long-term project if ever there was one to produce growth in the short run the study indeed shows that aid likely to have a short-term economic impact for instance 
aid used to build roads or support agriculture directly is positively correlated with short term growth here again however i am not fully persuaded the authors of this study argue that the reason to focus on short impact aid is uh, because the literature focuses on country growth rates over a four years period so i i i presume it follows that if one were to depart from the literature and look at long run growth say growth over decades which is what we really care about economic aid as a contrasted with say humanitarian aid accumulated uh, during the period should have a discernible effect on growth and there would be no need to separate out short image uh, sorry short impact aid from long impact aid my work with with the subramaniam uh, uh, suggests that economic aid does not have a robust positive correlation with long term growth despite my own convictions about what the past tells us i will acknowledge that the debate about uh, aid effectiveness is one where little is settled unfortunately further cross country research along existing lines may not yield credible answers we can continue trying to find some variable that will select out uh, those countries that have received aid and also grown or attempt to find some form of aid that is positively correlated with the growth but what do we conclude once we do that put another way when the same data are poured uh, or many times there is a danger we will find patterns that are there by accident this is why many economists have become skeptical that cross country studies can tell us much more of course the lay person would dis- despair of econo- uh, econometrics long before the economist it should however be of concern to the lay person that the best example we have of uh, aid working systematically for a group of countries is the marshall plan whereby the ravaged countries of post war western europe were returned to the ranks of the rich the reason it worked so well might be that uh, these countries institutions including the education of their people were probably capable of sustaining much higher per capita gdp than their post war low perhaps this is why one might see a country emerging from conflict experience a substantial period of catch up growth where aid is effective very effective mozambique or uganda might be more recent examples nevertheless it should be sobering that the canonical recent example of a country crowing itself out of poverty into into the ranks of the rich in is uh, south korea south korea was indeed ravaged by war but its spectacular growth started approximately when aid inflows tapered off dodging dutch decision according to some there is a better way to focus on what we know works specifically funding should support micro interventions or programs validated through evaluations and experimentation that might be very helpful say in furthering education and healthcare which undoubtedly lead to growth here we have learned a lot from work by abhijit banerjee of mit michael kramer at harvard and their students as well as from the world bank including its world development report 2004 we know we we know that providing services to the poor isn't just about money one one can build spanning uh, spanking new schools and pay teachers a good wage yet they may not come in to teach one can provide 
free drugs to the hospitals intended for the poor but the druggist uh, may simply sell them on the black market this is uh, this is not to say that uh, schools and hospitals aren't necessary but bricks and mortar are often the easy part policy makers also need to create the right incentives for the service provider and the poor client as well as uh, the right allocation of power and information between them to ensure that uh, reasonable reasonable quality services are provided and we know that the law of unintended consequences is always at work this means that a few programs ever operate as the designers intended so we need abundant experimentation frequent monitoring and evaluation and sharing of best practices so that these targeted interventions can have their intended effect unfortunately i am not sure that even if each micro intervention works well by itself they will all work well together interventions could affect each other and come in each other's way or via uh, for the same resources they could also have adverse spill or effects on the rest of the economy the last is not just a possibility suppose a lot of aid flows in to support interventions in education healthcare and uh, other social services the recipient country quickly hires many educated workers as teachers clerks nurses foremen uh, to build the school engineers and uh, government and aid administration administrators because well educated people will be in high demand their wages will uh, tend to rise and may well go up rapidly in turn factories will have to escalate the wages they pay to managers engineers and supervisors now factories that produce for the domestic market and don't face competition can pass their higher costs on but factories that export cannot uh, so they will cut down on operations and even start shutting down this is one example of a phenomenon called dutch disease which makes aid recipients less competitive subramanian and i show that in countries that received more aid in the 1980s and 1990s the export oriented uh, labor intensive industries not only grew more slowly than other industries suggesting that aid did, did in fact create dutch disease but the manufacturing sector as a whole also grew more slowly again it's sobering to think that by constraining the growth of manufacturing aid inflows may have prevented poor countries from taking the path to growth followed first by the east asian tigers and now by china that's a dutch disease is not a terminal condition it can be mitigated through sensible policies but to do so one must first acknowledge its existence and its uh, pernicious effects similarly for other possible diseases caused by aid there is hope to ignore the past or to read only rosy lessons from it is to condemn oneself to relive it while it would be uh, churlish to deny that many poor countries have made tremendous progress in creating the conditions for sustained growth it doesn't serve the citizens of poor countries either if we say that all the problems of the past are well and truly in the past uh, while no one has the magic bullet for growth there are some things that do do seem important
These include sensible macroeconomic management with fiscal discipline, moderate inflation and reasonably competitive exchange rate laws and policies that create an environment conducive to private sector activity with low transaction cost and uh, an economy open for international trade. In addition, investments in health and education which create a population that not only lives a better life but also sees opportunities in growth and competition ought to be encouraged. One way rich countries and international financial institutions can help is by making policies that broadly meet these requirements an essential condition for it. They should, however, register micromanaging and overlaying broad economic conditionality with too many detailed economic prescriptions or with social and political conditionality. Once a country has the necessary broad environment in place, it should have the freedom to chart its own path. After all, the failure of past grand theories of growth should make us wary of becoming overly prescriptive. Rich countries can also help by reducing the impediments they place in the way of poor country exports and by coaxing uh, these countries to lower their own trade barriers, including barriers to other poor countries. They can spend more to foster research on drugs and uh, agricultural technologies that would, that would benefit the poorest countries. They can be more active in ensuring that their companies and officials don't grease the wheels of corruption in poor countries. And they should uh, never hesitate to give humanitarian aid in the face of a disaster. Let us draw hope from the willingness of the outside world to provide more and better aid. Ultimately, though poor countries hold their future in their own hands, it is only through their own will and actions that the good intentions of the outside world can be used to truly make poverty history.